James, the fourth chapter. We've been in a series now for a number of weeks that I want to continue today. This series is called Close, uh, subtitled Drawing Near to God. And um, I, I trust that you are <laughs> close and drawing near, and this is benefiting you on a on a deep personal level in your relationship with God, you know your relationship with Him can be so very much better and closer than what you've experienced in times past. And not one of us have reached the end of God. We have, none of us have exhausted the resources or the wisdom and the, the very reality of His presence in our lives. But there is always more because He is infinite. <laughs> it's, it's, hard, it's hard for us to comprehend. We can't comprehend infinite, I don't think. Uh, but He is, and we can experience infinite, <laughs> an infinite God in our lives. Let's read our text once again. James 4, 8, draw near to God, and He will draw near to you. Say that out loud with me. Draw near to God, and He will draw near to you. The New Living Translation reads, Come close to God, and God will come close to you. And so we see a direct connection here between what we do and what God does. Right? If we will draw near to Him, then the Scripture says, He will draw near to us. And I tell you what, there is not a better scenario that we could paint for your life than to have intimacy and closeness with God. No relationship you've ever had, no experience you've ever had in life can even come close to measuring up to what it really means to be close to the Lord and to be in His amazing presence. There is nothing missing, there is nothing lacking, there is nothing broken, there is nothing absent that is desirable or needed in His presence. And I want to encourage you, as you draw near to Him, let that be the goal. I know sometimes we need other things or we want God to do things for us. And definitely we take His Word and stand on His promises and we'll continue to do so. But let it be your highest priority just to be with Him. Just to know Him. Just to experience His amazing love and presence. Because in that place, so many of the peripheral peripheral uh, things uh, that, that we need and want in life are just taken care of. And it's because of the reality that God's presence has no lack in it. It is joy. It is peace. It is provision. It is health. It is strength. It is wisdom. It is answers. It is sight. Come on now. Everything just is in Him. And in His presence, all that stuff starts to manifest in our lives. So again, it's not wrong or by any means to take a promise or to pray specifically for things, but let it be our highest goal and desire just to be with Him and be in fellowship and relationship with Him. And you'll find so many of the requests become unnecessary because, you know, enemies melt like wax or the hills melt like wax, the psalmist said, in the presence of the Lord. <laughs> Sounds bad, the enemy's melting, but, uh, you know, I mean, things are just taken care of in His presence, so let's just go there, let's just be there, and let His grace begin to infiltrate our lives, kind of fill in the cracks, and all those things we didn't even know were wrong, <laughs> those things we didn't know needed a touch from God, they get touched there 
in His presence. I bet we'll look back at times from eternity's perspective. We'll look back and have revelation of times when we were just with Him. And we'll find out that things were changed, things were fixed, conditions in our bodies were altered, circumstances around us were altered, and we didn't even know that it needed fixed. We didn't even know to ask. We didn't know to call on the Lord. But His grace, His grace was disseminated uh, in various aspects of our lives while we were with Him. Amen. Praise God. There is great benefit even to being here today. Great benefit to being in God's presence because He is at work in your life. Come on, never think anything else wise. Never think different. He is at work in your life today. And the very fact that you and I are giving time to Him and attention to Him, putting our mind on Him, we're giving Him access. We're giving Him access. He's not forcing Himself, but when we open up, He comes in. Oh, yeah, He does. Praise God. And so we are drawing near to the Lord. One of the reasons that we, we take time on a subject like this and others to, uh, to teach week after week on a particular subject is, is, is so that we will put our minds on something and, and keep, it, keep them there. You know, what you give your mind to and focus on continually, you open up your heart to. The inside of you becomes open. And these things can't be just a passing glance. Oh, I looked at that. Now I'm on to something else. But if you'll put your mind on it and keep it there day in and day out, week in, week out over time, you'll find that the things of God will become so real to you. And revelation will come. We kind of finished with that thought last time about revelation, how it's, it's a opening of a curtain. We are beginning to see what was already there, but it was just obscured from our viewpoint. But when revelation comes, now we see, and I tell you what, when you see it, it's easy. It's just, it's, oh, well, yeah. Well, it's, well, there it is. Well, there, that's what I have. Well, that's who I am. That's who God is to me. And, and that's what we've got to get past is this veil of the flesh, the veil of doubt and unbelief. And again, putting our minds and giving time and attention to these things can take us into a place where we have revelation, we have understanding, and we have a clarity in our lives that we didn't have before. I, I know this, that there is a, uh, a principle or a truth that any person can become an expert in any field in life, something that stirs them, something they're interested in, if they will simply give a period of time to it daily over a period of years. It's been said that if you will give yourself to something for an hour a day over five years, you'll become an expert in that area or in that field. And that makes a lot, whole lot of sense to, you know, to apply ourselves to something that we enjoy, something that, uh, that we're passionate about, and, and become experts in something in life. And you can do that, you know, by cutting your TV time down from six hours to five hours. Uh, you, you could easily increase in many areas of, uh, of life. But, but I'm talking about the spiritual side of this. Think about if we were to give an hour a day over five years period of time to the Lord. And we spent time with Him. And we, 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 we got quiet before Him. And we prayed and we worshiped. And we, we spent time in the very throne room of God in His presence. 
and just did it continually. Day after day, year after year. What could that accomplish in your life? How much further would you be down the road spiritually if you had been doing that for the last five years? Now, now, of course, you understand we're not trying to reduce your spirituality down to an hour a day. And that's part of the intent of this whole message is to not do that. Is to not just get spiritual for a while and then go back to your carnal life. It is to live with an awareness and pre- of God's presence at all times. Knowing that we are spirits relating to God who is spirit at all times. And having a consciousness and a knowledge of Him ongoing. However, there is definitely validity to the fact of, of giving a, a, a period of time to Him. Cutting everything else out, shutting everything else off, and being with the Lord. Would you, what happens is when you come out of that place and you're about your business and doing things in life, is you do those things with a greater consciousness of Him. And He'll talk to you at all times. Amen. But again, uh, we can take time with Him. And we need to. Give time and attention to the things of God. And you'll go up. Is it possible to be closer to the Lord now than you have been? Is it possible for one person in here to go further than everybody else with God? Yeah. If you study the Scripture, you'll you'll notice that even in the earthly ministry of Jesus, that there were individuals that were closer to Him than other people. In fact, He had many, many people that would follow Him. And his meetings sometimes were tens of thousands of people without a microphone, <laughs> you know. And and, uh, and he had some massive he had a massive following in his day. Uh, but we don't always have all the numbers. But there are a few different occasions where we see the Bible gives us specific numbers. Like in one case, the the, the scripture says that there were seventy that he sent out. That he authorized and sent out to go before him in the cities and to do ministry. And uh, of course we know that one night he, Jesus prayed all night long. He was in the presence of his father and in, in prayer and in fellowship. But when he came out the next day, because he had gotten a lot of direction through the night. Came out the next day, he picked 12 people. And he said, uh, he said you guys, he said, I want you to be with me continually. I want you to be with me. And then he sent them out to to minister as well. But there were 12. How many know that even within the 12, we can see that there was even a smaller group? We sometimes might call it the inner circle, right? But the scriptures identify that Peter, James, and John were three that seemed to be even closer to the Lord than the 12, right? You, you, you know, there, there, there were times when he would minister and he would only take three of them with him, right? You, you remember the time when he, they went up on that mountain called the Mount of Transfiguration uh, uh, that only Peter, James, and John got to go. Remember Moses and Elijah got to show up. They had an amazing time in the glory of God, but not everyone was there. Just a few of them were. And really, if you go further, you can tell that even within the three, there seems to be even a tighter relationship with one and that's John right John referred to himself as the one that Jesus loved right and John had an intimate relationship with Jesus that seemed to go beyond what everyone else had even at the last supper remember he was kind of leaning up against Jesus 
I mean, you can't, can't get any closer than that. <laughs> he, got the, he, he got a good seat, and he was just tight with the Lord. And, and those things played out in his life. In fact, he's the one that got the book of Revelation. He saw the amazing things. I think some of those things are connected. See, there, there are benefits to being closer with the Lord. It's just like if, if you and I were real close as, you know, as, as, as friends, and we spent hour upon hour upon hour with each other, well, we would know more about each other. I would tell you things about myself that I wouldn't tell everyone else because through that relationship there'd be trust and there'd just be an openness there. And uh, when it comes to the things of God, there are those that are closer to Him and they benefit. Yeah, they see things. They hear things. They know. They have experiences that not every Christian has. And it's not that God loves them more. It's just that they're there. You know, if you want God to talk, talk to talk to you more, to tell you more things, well, just be there. Be there, and oh, you're still here. Well, well, you, you'll just be hearing what He's saying. You'll just be finding it. You'll have experiences with Him just because of your proximity to Him. Amen. And so there are great benefits, and not everyone's going to get it. But everyone can. See, he's infinite now. He can relate to all of us at the same time individually. Wow, that's kind of out there. Uh, but that, that's the way he is. Praise God. Go with me to John 15 today. John, the 15th chapter. There's something that is necessary in our relationship with God for that relationship to be what God intends for it to be. And that is, this must be two-way. This must be dialogue. Let me say it this way. We must hear the voice of God. Yeah, this is necessary for our prayer lives. And if that seems distant to you, I have to hear the voice of God. You do. Necessary. You have to get things. You have to know what He's thinking you have to hear God's thoughts at times for this relationship to be complete. It cannot be complete if it's one way. And most of what God does, it seems that we always think, well, prayer is about us talking to God and worship is about us doing this towards God. And, and it's always us doing stuff towards Him like He did His part and now He's just kind of back off and now it's all us. That's not scriptural. Again and again, we see in the Word of God that He is seeking us. We see that He talks to people. He ministers. The Spirit of God says things. Uh, we see even that Jesus Jesus talked about some people in His day that, that honored God with their lips, but their heart was far from Him. And they, they, they valued, they sought out the praises of men more than the praises of, of God. You know that God praises us? You know, he rejoices over us with singing. See, these are scriptural principles and we think, oh, it's all this way. No, it's both ways. It's both ways. And that's got to be the summation of our fellowship and union with him is that there are things going both directions. We're praying to him and he's, quote, praying to us. You know what I mean by that? We want him to do things. He wants us to do things. And this is, a, this is a, a relationship that must be seen this way. And it really makes prayer work 
when there's dialogue, when there's constant communication. Let me show you this. John 15, 7, Jesus said here, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. Now, now think about this. This is quite an amazing statement and really different from the way most Christians believe. Okay? And, and that is this. Jesus said, you'll ask whatever you desire, whatever you want, and it will be done for you. Now, most of the time when you talk about prayer in Christian circles and, and God doing things, all the attention is given to the will of God. Right? Well, if God doesn't want it, then it won't happen. And if it's got to be God's will. Why didn't Jesus mention God's will here? The only person he mentioned as being important in relating to the will or the desire would be us. That really God wants your will to happen, not just his will. Now I'm going to mess with your mind here a little bit. I was thinking about this some time ago, and I realized that my mentality was even wrong concerning this verse, because the way I was reading it was, yes, God will give me what I desire, whatever I want. However, I qualified that because of the language of abiding in Him and His Word abiding in us. I thought, well, really the way this works is... What I want is only what God wants because His Word is abiding in me, so it's really not what I want, it's what He wants me to want. But then as I considered these things, I thought, that almost sounds like manipulation. It almost sounds like God's playing, playing with, with words here. If, he, if that were true, that because of His Word abiding in me and so forth, that really... I only want what he wants, then why is he even saying it this way to act like it's what I want? When it's not, it's what he wants. And he's just telling me, but if you'll do it, then it'll be what you want. And so I'll give you what you want, even though it's really what I want. Huh? In other words, if you like vanilla, if you, you've got a hanger and God likes chocolate, You've got to hang around God long enough until you like chocolate. Then he'll give you what you want. Because it's what he wants. You see how that can be kind of uh, almost like that's playing with words if that's really what it means. I don't believe that's what that means. You're saying it's not about God's will? Exactly. I'm saying it's about your will. I'm saying it's about my will. But yet, all, you know, that's all that's talked about. Oh, if it's not the will of God, then... Now watch. So someone, someone might ask, what about that other verse? I believe in the other verse. For example, 1 John chapter 5. Remember, he, uh, John said here, there by the inspiration of God, he said, uh, this is the confidence that we have in Him. That if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. And if we know that He hears us, then we know that we have. What, so things we so desired of him, all right? See, it's got to be the will of God. Well, consider this, that God's will is in the asking. Come on. Okay. 
that we must ask according to his will for asking. Isn't that what this says? Isn't that what, like Mark eleven twenty four said, whatever you desire when you pray, believe that you receive it and you, you will have it? And again, it didn't mention the will of God. Consider this. The will of you is the will of God. Now, that, I know that will mess, mess with some thinking right there. I'll fix that in a moment. <laughs> but we sometimes, we enter into a position of doubt and unbelief entering into the situation. Well, what if God doesn't want that? Well, what if you want that? Now, here, here, here's the deal. Here's the qualifier. If His Word abides in you, if you, if you abide in Him, in Jesus, and His words abide in you, then you get whatever you want. That doesn't mean that I have to switch to chocolate from vanilla. It really means that God does want me to have what I want. My preferences stay intact. But how many know if I abide in Him, I'm not wanting things sinful I'm not wanting things unholy. There is an influence on our heart, yet also individual preference and desires that remain intact. God did not want to turn us just into robots where we could only ask for these things. And I'll give you whatever you want, as long as it's in here. You know, like if I took my daughter to the mall and, and said, we're going to go into this store, pick out any outfit you want. And she comes back and says, this one. Well, anyone that I want that you want. <laughs> See, that, wouldn't be, that would be a wrong statement to say, pick out, pick out an outfit if I left it open-ended like that, if it had to do with my will. Amen. Now, if she abides in me... <laughs> And my words abide in her. Now what? She's not gonna. She's not going to want something that's outside of the realm of acceptable. But it's still her preference. Now, now here's the thing with this word. Uh, first of all, abide. I like that. If you abide in me, what does that mean? That means we're not just visiting the Lord on occasion. See, these are qualifiers to make this work. It's not an occasional thing we have going on in life. This is something, this is a place where we live. I abide in my home. I don't, it's not like a hotel. That's where I stay. That's where I live. I abide in Him. This defines my relationship, my intimacy with God. See, this is important. And then if His words abide in me, that word words there is the Greek word rhema, R-H-E-M-A. And it has to do with words spoken. It has to do with words revealed. Okay? It's when God's words come alive in me. When I see them. When He speaks to me. So this is the context of this relationship. I live in Him always. I'm spiritual every day. I relate to my Father naturally every day. And His words abide in me. He's talking to me. I'm hearing Him. I'm hearing Him through the Word. I'm hearing Him by His Spirit. Those who are led by the Spirit of God are the sons of God. I'm hearing Him. In the context of that relationship, what? These things are so real to me. The presence of my Father is so real to me. My Spirit, by the Holy Spirit, cries out, Abba, Father. He is my Dad. I have that relationship with Him. And 
I get whatever I want. That's the heart of a father ministering to a child. You're in his presence. You get whatever you want. Chocolate, vanilla, it, you know, 350 horsepower, whatever. Does God want me to have that one? He wants to be with you. He wants His words to be alive and real in you. So you have that intimate relationship. Now prayer goes to a whole nother level. And it's not only half prayer. Where it's all us talking. God seems distant. He seems unapproachable and untouchable. No, it's an intimate union. And you can have whatever you want in that place. Amen. And so what we've done sometimes is we take this as a principle, and it is. And anyone can use it, but we're not practicing the whole scope of what it means to have a relationship with God, yet we expect premium 100% results. It's like Jesus taught about the four uh, soils, the conditions of a person's heart. Mark chapter 4, how when the sower sowed the word, planted the word, uh, how it would have different results depending on the condition of people's hearts and uh, only one condition actually produced fruit 30 60 100 fold but basically the essence of that is this the seed was allowed to stay in the ground and not get stolen not get uh, choked out it was allowed to stay there and do its thing when it can stay there long enough it will produce And when we stay with Him, and His words stay in us, and they are alive in us, prayer fruit is the result. We ask, and that's what the context of John 15 is. It's fruit, and it's prayer fruit. It's we ask, and things happen. We pray, and things happen, and things change, and we get a response from Him. Go to Ephesians chapter 3. Can you take a little bit more? Ephesians, the third chapter. There was no time change in heaven. (laughs) Everything's all right on schedule. Ephesians chapter 3. Look at verse 19, the last part of that verse. It says, That you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Think about that concept for a moment. (laughs) That you may be filled with the fullness of God. What does that even look like? I mean, that is beyond comprehension right there. I mean, God is massive. He is powerful. He is amazing. And the Scripture has given us indication that we can be filled with the fullness of God. How does He even fit inside of us? I like uh, this. The word fullness just means in the English the state of being filled to capacity. I like that because there's not room for anything else. No room for any junk. No demon in hell has its place. No problem. It's just, I'm just full of God. Uh, one of the Greek words translated, uh, translated here, uh, fullness, it uses the word cram. I like that. You're just going to be crammed full of God. I mean, he's, try- he's endeavoring to get every bit of himself in us. You know, you think of like stuffing something in a sock. And just keep stuffing in there. And it keeps going out and going out and going out and going out. Oh, there's a little more space in there. Let's get more of God in there. Can we be so full of God? Apparently so. This was God's idea that we would be full of Him. You know, 
uh, years ago used to do uh, youth camps, and you always have to do some wild things with teenagers uh, to help them. <laughs> and uh, there was one of these uh, one of these games, um, these crowd breaking type of games, where you you, you bring the youth up. And, they, and you get volunteers, and they stand in a line in front of the crowd, and they each have a gallon of water, all right? And it's a contest. To, it's a water-drinking contest. Sounds innocent. Sounds like that'd be fine. But the problem is they, you know, they, go, they start, everybody go, and they start chugging water, is they don't realize that that much water does not fit. And so at a certain point, like if you overfill your gas tank, <laughs> at a certain point, the water starts going the other direction because <laughs> they're too full. <laughs> All right, let's get that out. Get that picture out. When it comes to the things of God, watch, you can be so full of God that he starts coming out. I mean, he influences your outside, your circumstances, your family, people around you. You're just filled with the fullness of God. And he is beyond capacity. Or you are beyond capacity uh, full of him. Amen. Now, look, look, look up a few verses. Ephesians, again, chapter 3 and verse 14. Verse 14. For this reason, I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named. Now, what we're going to he's praying here. So he's bowing his knee, he's praying for these guys. The end result is that they might be filled with the very fullness of God. Do you think this prayer is going to be important? He's praying exactly what it takes for us to get it all. The fullness of God. Verse 16, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might by his spirit in the inner man. So what we have here is not only a prayer, but a teaching and an understanding of what it takes. See, you and I must be stronger inside in order to handle the fullness of God. Someone said, oh Lord, just give it all to me. Fill me up full and complete. Dude, you're going to burst. You are totally going to break. But we can pray that we would have spiritual strength. Is this necessary or is this just words filling a page? This is needed for us. Have you been praying for spiritual strength in your heart lately? If not, giddy up. Come on, if you're wanting to go here with me, if you're wanting to experience life to the full till it overflows, the very glory of God in your life, you've got to be able to handle it. So you pray for strength in the heart. That's not just the spirit, but in your, in, your, in your mind, in your emotions, you can handle a full dose of God. Amen. Strength on the inside, not physical strength, although, although your body will benefit from this strength. But it's internal, all right? Verse 17, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Now, you think about that language. He's talking to believers, right? talking to the church at Ephesus, so he's not saying, I'm praying that you guys would receive Jesus in your hearts as your Savior. They're already born again. They're already filled with the Spirit. But there is something going on here where he's praying that their hearts would be full of Jesus by faith. 
Meaning hearts, not just spirit, but the combination of spirit and soul. So where He fills your life. He fills your emotions. He fills your thinking. This can only be done by faith. Not a feeling. Oh, I want to feel it. I want to feel it. I want a circumstance that, that confirms it. No, by faith, I accept that Christ is always and continually in me and with me. He is there. He's here. I don't feel anything. Faith. That's why he's praying. It's not walking in the flesh. This is faith. He is. I believe. And it is. All right. Verse 17. Or the rest of verse 17. That you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend. Everybody say comprehend. With all the saints, what is the width and length and depth and height to know the love of Christ that passes knowledge. So what, what's he saying here? He's praying that there would be understanding. There would be comprehension of God's amazing love that is very high and very low and very wide and very deep. This is massive. It's something that you have to have a revelation of. You have to have a pulling back of the veil to, for this to happen. That's why he's praying, Lord, show them this. Show them how deep and wide and, and, and mega this thing is. How big you are and your love. Look, verse 19. To know the love of Christ that passes knowledge. This is his prayer. Think about it. That doesn't make sense. That's almost a contradictory statement. How can one know something that passes or escapes or goes beyond our knowledge? How can I know what I don't know? There's different kinds of knowledge. There is a way where a person can experience what they can't wrap their mind around. Come on, now you and I have experienced some of these things in natural life. I've heard people telling about experiences like, man, it was this and it was this. And they're so jazzed about it. And I'm like, oh. They just couldn't convey. Or I've had times, you know what? I've experienced something, and I'm telling the story. It was amazing, and I just can't find the words. What's the only solution? They have to experience it for themselves. They really do. Paul had an experience in heaven. He came back saying, I just can't say it. He said, I saw things. I heard things unspeakable. I can't, I can't put words to it. So this is what's very, very cool. It is possible to experience God on a level that your mind tilts at. And all you know is, God's love will blow you away. I can't even fully describe it, but I had this experience with Him. I was with Him, and He showed me His love. He embraced me and wrapped His arms around me. If I were to write it down, I can't. But I was there. You just have to go and get on that ride for yourself. Or you'll never know what I'm talking about. You know, you know what I'm saying here? That's what he's praying. That they would know, they would experientially know the love of Christ that goes beyond our thinking. Wow. Wow. And then this finishes up with this. That you may be filled with all the fullness of God. That you may be filled with all the fullness of God. These things are essential in order for us to live that full of God life. The life that God intended. The Amplified says here, 
That last part. That you may be filled through all your being unto all the fullness of God may have the richest measure of the divine presence and become a body wholly filled and flooded with God Himself. And then the scripture goes on to say, And now unto Him who is able to do exceeding abundantly above all we could ever ask or think according to the power that works in us. God wants to go beyond your mind, beyond your mentality, for your relationship with Him to be experiential and so real that you bulge out and spill out on others. Something that you, fully, you can't fully explain, but it's just, we just get around you and something good happens. It's the presence of God. It's the way He is. Listen, if we're not experiencing the fullness of God, we're not experiencing His love. This is how it comes. It is through the love of God. I don't ever want to substitute right standing with a church, a knowledge of the Word, or Christian activity for God's love personally in my life. Amen. I like the Scripture in closing today over in 2 Corinthians chapter 13 and verse 14. It's the end of a book, and it says, The... May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Think about those three things. If we can, if we can have those three principles and truths established in our lives, God's grace, it's free for you. It's completely done. It is the love of God. Amen. It is God's unconditional love towards us. And watch, then it's daily, day in, day out, communion of the Holy Spirit. He wants to fellowship and talk with you continually. And think if we had those things going in our lives always. Woo! And we do. And we have. I don't know about you, but I can increase in all three of them. Understanding His grace, His love, and His fellowship with me daily. But that's what God wants. And He has set it up. Everything is completed. Everything is finished. So we can have exactly that now. Come on, pray this with me today. Say, Father God, I believe in You. I receive Your love in my life. Lord Jesus, I receive Your grace in my life. Holy Spirit, I receive your fellowship. I know your voice. You know my voice. We are together now. Thank you, Lord. Father, we acknowledge you today. We put our mind on you. We give our thoughts and attention to you. It's our commitment and our desire to abide in you, in Jesus, and his words abide and live and come alive in us. We thank you that we can and we are in that place with you now. Thank you for your amazing presence that surrounds us that envelops our minds and our thoughts, envelops our lives completely. We live in you. 
we'll never be apart. We'll never be alone. But we are wrapped up in your very presence. Thank you for working in us today and helping us to see, helping us to say that you are the only way and you're in our lives right now, this very day. Thank you for working in us today. In Jesus' name, amen.